the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all for the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have got a literature-inspired episode for everybody. Fantasy, storytelling, all that good stuff. We are going to be talking the 1987 film The Princess Bride. We're going to do a full breakdown of that and a recasting of that. I'm sure people, you know, don't want that to happen. Why would you recast The Princess Bride? Well, because why not? It's it's what we do. It's what we do. We piss everybody off. Uh, I like my casting, though. I think uh, think you did a good job. And then to kind of, you know, because with The Princess Bride, you're kind of, you're diving into the world of a book with that. That's exactly what you're doing. You're you're Mm -hmm. seeing the story, you know, in in, in real life, if you will. Um, So to tie in with it, I'm taking us to PBS in the mid-90s and the show wishbone so i'm so excited to be talking about that show as a show i absolutely loved you've been uh you've been talking about throwing this on the podcast for a while now honestly ever since our episode one uh because we talked the never-ending story mm-hmm. and we were just doing kind of random things that we didn't really do like the themes that we've kind of got going on now right and so when i like early on after i realized oh man i should have done a theme one what would have gone good with never any story i'm like ah wishbone <laughs> so and so i've been trying to think of what what would be good for wishbone later and then we eventually got to this and it's just like yep yeah let's do it cool so uh all right 1987 uh good year good stuff what happened in 1987 so the movie was released on october 9th 1987 the Billboard Top 100 single of that week is a hair metal classic, Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. Here I go again on my own Going down the only road I've ever known Like a drifter I was born to walk alone I've made up my mind Yes, that's a... Uh... One of our favorite hair metal songs, if, uh, if if anybody remembers from our top tens. I was going to say, I can't remember if that made both lists or not. I I mean, it was my top one, but I, I feel like you had it somewhere. I'm pretty sure like. I did. If, if anything, it, at the worst, it made an honorable mention, because it's a yeah. classic hair metal song. Mm-hmm. Uh, no surprise, topping the Nielsen ratings for 1987 is going to be the Cosby show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the New York Times bestseller for that week was a book I'm not at all familiar with, but it's called Presumed Innocent by Scott Turow. Oh, I've read that one. Have you really? No. Okay, I didn't figure <laughs> Sorry, I was trying. Well, you may not have done that, but I know we talked about this video game when we talked about our top 10 uh, NES games. Uh, that month, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out came out. Oh, yes, absolute classic. I stunk. I could not get past, like... Um, <laughs> Uh, I can't even remember some of their names, but I think right. it was like... They had yeah, fun names, though. Just a good, good classic, fun fighting game. Yeah. And a little fun fact about 1987. In 1987, and this was at the height of their popularity, 22% of all mattress sales were waterbed mattresses. Oh, you know what? I feel like you used that before. Okay. And that is still a shocking, <laughs> shocking number. Well, it's not all that surprising to us because we had a waterbed. Yes, yes, we did. Had it for a long time. Uh, and you it, said you you had it, and yep. Abby had it, and then Dad had it for a long time yeah. after that. 
Yeah, it made the rounds. Yep. It, I tell you, it lasted for a long time. Yeah. I don't think we ever had to get that bladder uh, fixed for anything, so that's wild. And we didn't have any, you know, um, leaks uh, or I was thinking Edward Scissorhand moments. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, luckily not. Yep. And that was 1987. All right. Well, John. Oh, I don't even know what the hell I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's let's just talk Princess Bride. As you wish. Princess Bride from 1987 it was directed by Rob Reiner, who also directed Spinal Tap, um, Misery, A Few Good Men, The American President, Ghosts of Mississippi, a lot of good stuff. Stand By Me. Stand By Me, yes, right. Another awesome, awesome movie that we should get to. Yeah. It was written by William Goldman, who also wrote the book from 1973. It came out, so he did the screenplay as well. Music for this movie was done by Mark Knopfler. He also did the music for Wag the Dog, if you knew that movie. But most people all know him as the lead guy from Dire Straits. Yeah. So, yeah, great band, great stuff. I I, I feel like I have. I'm, I'm sure I mentioned my Mark Knopfler concert before on here. You have. Okay, yeah. cool. It was just, yeah. I mean, I, I saw him live in Greece in an outdoor concert. It was awesome. I, I also wanted to mention um, William Goldman is the screenwriter for probably my favorite Western of all time, uh, which was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. you liked that movie. Oh, I love that movie. Okay. Good to, good to know. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. my God. It's such a classic. It's the Paul Newman, Robert Redford, that one? Yeah. It's so yeah, good because no, it's it's a Western, but there's it's there's a lot of funny moments, and there's some heartfelt moments, and there's some action. It's a great all-around Western. Okay. I might have to still go with, like, Young Guns for me. I don't know. I mean, this is, it's kind of <laughs> dumb, but it's... it's a fun, the Young Guns, it's it's a fun movie. It's from our childhood, absolutely. But, I mean, if I'm, yeah. you know, if I'm rating sort of, like, quality... Yeah. Then I'm going to put Butch Cassidy. And I think for a lot of people, maybe Butch Cassidy may not always be number one, but it's definitely going to be in that top 10 contention. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, cinematography for this movie was done by Adrian Biddle. We talked about him before. Uh, unfortunately, he actually passed away back in 2005, only at the age of 53. Mm. Um, but Adrian Biddle was uh, the cinematographer for Aliens, Willow, Thelma and Louise, 101 Dalmatians, the uh, 90s version, The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, V for Vendetta, and so much more. Um, very, very talented. Oh, all, all classics. Yes. I mean, and some of them particularly, I remember when we talked about The Mummy, it's just like it looked great. V for mm-hmm. Vendetta also looks great. Uh, obviously, uh, this one in Aliens too. So Yeah. All right. The cast for The Princess Bride, Wesley, is played by Carrie Elwes. We know him from Robin Hood Men in Tights, uh, Saw, Stranger Things. He played, I think, the, the mayor in that one. Um, Hot Shots. Yeah. He's good in that as well. Inigo Montoya is played by Mandy Patinkin. Patinkin. Is that from something? Uh, sorry, that's a How I Met Your Mother reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just, I, I've seen every episode. I just there's don't a, remember that. Well, there's an episode towards the end of the series when they talk about you can't say Mandy Patinkin's name without old people. Like it's like a call to old people. So anytime uh, anyone in the cast says Mandy Patinkin, there's this ghostly voice that goes Patinkin. Well, that makes sense because he's definitely um, has he's he's done worked on enough like procedurals, yeah, uh, or that those old people shows like Chicago Hope, Criminal <laughs> right. Minds, Homeland. Um, he's also in uh, Dick Tracy. Uh, that oh wow, way back. Yep. Um, another one that we've kind of talked about multiple times, but we got to get to it mm-hmm. at some point. So uh, Prince Humperdinck is played by Chris Sarandon. He's been in Dog Day Afternoon, uh, Fright Night, which I think is a movie that our buddies over at uh, Pad 
uh, have talked about before. Yeah, probably. That sounds familiar. But most people not may not know. Maybe they'll recognize his voice because he was the voice of Jack Skellington in yeah. A Nightmare Before Christmas. Very cool. Uh, and also his first wife, Susan, uh, got her big break when Chris brought her along for an audition. Susan oh. Sarandon. Yeah. yeah. They got divorced in like, in like the 80s or something. But, right. Um, that's that's how she got the last name Sarandon. Oh, I wonder what her name was before then. Yeah, I I have no idea. Okay, I was too lazy to look that up. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's not like <laughs> I have like a wealth of knowledge at my fingertips. But. Exactly, it's right in front of my screen. But I'm just gonna keep yeah, going. Yeah, we're just on. gonna keep going. <laughs> Google it yourself, people. Uh, all right, Count Rugen is played by Christopher Guest. Uh, he was in Spinal Tap. Uh, he's also a great director. He directed Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, Waiting for Guffman. Uh, plenty of that stuff. Very good comedies. Love Christopher Guest. Uh, Vizzini is played by Wallace Shawn. Most people would rec- recognize his voice as Rex from the Toy Story franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in Clueless. Uh, we talked about him. We talked about him in a Goofy movie when mm-hmm. we did that one. He's been in tons of stuff. Wasn't he in uh, My Dinner with Andre? Yes, he was. He was in My Dinner with Andre. Yeah, that's a kind of like a older one. It's not really one that I know much, but I know of it. Yeah, uh, it, I never it, actually saw I've it. heard of it so many times that I've kind of just inherited yeah. knowledge mm-hmm. of the movie, having never seen it, though. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, Fezzik is played by Andre the Giant. He's a professional wrestler. I mean, most people know him just for this huge guy. is like eight yeah. foot something tall. I've said it massive. I've said it before, but if you've never seen his the special on HBO about yeah. him, you need to go see it because it is it's 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 a lot of fun and a little mm-hmm. heart wrenching at the same time. Yeah, very well done. I wholeheartedly back up John on that one. So, Buttercup was played by Robin Wright. Uh, that's Jen A uh, from <laughs> Forrest Gump, yep. and she, she's also been in the uh, the Wonder Woman franchise. These recent two movies and mm-hmm. Toys, if you remember that one, the Robin Williams movie. The Grandfather is played by Peter Falk, who most people would recognize as Columbo, um, definitely from old detective stuff. And The Grandson is played by Fred Savage. We've talked about him. We had our Fred Savage episode where we talked The Wizard and Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. He's also from that show Working that not a lot of people remember, but it lasted a pretty good amount. He's turned into an amazing uh, TV director. Yes. I mean, tons of episodes of Always Sunny, uh, tons of other stuff just in yeah. general. Like the guy, he's... he's done a damn good job for himself we let uh we took our son to see once upon a deadpool we were a little iffy about oh, whether we should because this right, it, the PG it was the pg-13 right? version if he, if he, and yeah. uh they they basically recreated the beginning of this movie for that where instead okay. of the grandfather it's deadpool because of that uh, but my son, my kids have all, have seen the Princess Bride and they love the Princess Bride too. So my son was like ecstatic when he saw that it was the same actor uh, okay. for the Deadpool one. Cute, very cute. Yeah, it was cute. Princess Bride. I feel like everybody's seen it, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, tell me about you. When do you remember seeing this one? If you have a memory of it, I do actually, um, because I had never heard of this movie. Um, I had a buddy in high school. Um, his name was Al. I hung out with Al all the time. He was definitely. He was over the house quite a bit. Nice. Yeah. Cool guy. Um, Al was also my ride a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of, but like I, I, you know, Al was like my buddy pretty much since like seventh grade all the way through high school. Yeah. And I was over, probably staying over at his house. I stayed over his house quite a bit. His parents mentioned this movie and I said, I'd never seen it. And his dad was like, well, I know what we're doing tonight. We're going to order pizza and watch Princess Bride. And that's exactly what we did. And I'd never okay. seen it. And after that, I was hooked. Okay. Very cool. Um, I don't have a specific memory like that. I, I probably saw it either on TBS or TNT or something like mm-hmm. that. Some kind of a just a TV showing. 
but yeah, I mean, I just you watch it so many times, and then it, was, it became like a staple. Obviously, yeah. I, mean, I would say even early on, on on my DVD buying days from college, this was one that you definitely had to have. It's like I oh, feel yeah. like everybody had to own a copy. Yeah. All right, let's do our breakdown, and we'll start off with a sick kid playing a video game, a baseball game. He's actually playing. Uh, do you, did you check what the game is? I uh, I can't remember. No. Yeah, it's called Hardball, and it's for the Commodore 64. Oh, wow. uh, And his grandfather comes over. I like that he pinches his cheek immediately, just like he's (laughs) like, oh, he always pinches my cheek. (laughs) So he's going to read him a story because he's got a sick grandson. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the grandson's all just kind of like, oh, I don't want to deal with this old man and this kind of crap. But we'll see. We'll see how that adjusts over the rest of this story. So Mm -hmm. I do love Peter Falk's line here, the grandfather's line. Uh, where he's telling him he's going to read him a book, and obviously the grandson's all worried. He's like, "Yeah, when I was when I was your age, television was called books." That's right. When I was your age, television was called books, and this is a special book. Deal with it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's going to read him the story. So we get into it, and we meet Buttercup, and we meet Wesley. I found I saw something that uh, apparently Rob Reiner auditioned over 500 women to play the role of Buttercup, including. Courtney Cox, Meg Ryan, Uma Thurman, and even Whoopi Goldberg all were considered at some point. Nice. So Buttercup is just being very harsh and and demanding of Wesley, and he would only ever respond with, as you wish. Farm boy, polish my horse's saddle. I want to see my face shining in it by morning. As you wish. As you wish was all he ever said to and he, she basically eventually realizes that when he says, as you wish, it means I love you. Aww. It's so cute. And honestly, <laughs> I'm going to say so many times in this that, oh, this is so used in pop culture or this is so used by people. Mm-hmm. But this, as you wish, absolutely. I yeah. feel like I hear it. If anybody, even if anybody says, if somebody says, I love you, and if they want to nerd out, the next things are either I know or <laughs> as you wish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what the nerd people do. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, I, and I'm just gonna mention this now. Um, Carrie Elways has a book mm. called "As You Wish." Okay, that details he details his entire process from from the audition to getting the role to making the movie to you know uh, what happens afterwards, and it's fantastic. And I actually recommend you get the audiobook because he has other actors or other people come oh. in that they've added interviews in that aren't in the physical book oh wow that's very cool it's amazing and he he narrates the book okay awesome even better yeah now that they know that they love each other they start kissing and the kid is pissed off about it oh is this a <laughs> kissing book he doesn't want he doesn't want none of that shit yeah I, I i like to think that i wasn't all that weirded out by that as a kid but i probably was well actually i was a teenager by the time i saw this but yeah. i know that uh like my kids especially my daughter anytime she sees kissing she's like oh gross <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I was gonna ask. I wasn't sure how your son would be, but yeah, I can totally see that with uh, with your daughter as well. It's funny. He doesn't he doesn't really react. I think he just kind mm-hmm. of suffers in silence. <laughs> My daughter is much more vocal about her gross <laughs> being grossed out by it. Okay. All right. So uh, Wesley, you know, has no money to his name, so he's going to leave and try and earn some money for the marriage and whatnot to start a life together with her. So he leaves and vows to come back. Good little line here. You know, she's all worried that he will never come back and says, This is true love. I think this happens every day. 
so many little little lines that are solid and they kind of yeah. stick with you when you listen or when you watch it. We then kind of just hear through narration that his voyage was taken over by the Dread Pirate Roberts. It was um, they pirated the ship and they didn't leave any captives alive. So obviously this must mean that Wesley is dead. Oh, no. We then flash forward basically to five years later and we meet Prince Humperdinck. He tells the people that he's going to be marrying a commoner like them. Buttercup. Buttercup. I, always, I don't know. I, always <laughs> I, say like, I, like, I do like his delivery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything's a little bit ham-fisted in this movie. And I think that's part of the greatness is they don't yeah. seem to, yeah, they don't seem to take themselves too seriously. I mean, even Mandy Patinkin, who is very serious with a lot of his stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it just all works really well together. And yeah. it all just kind of has that campy charm. Yeah. Well, I think, I think this movie knows exactly what it is. Yeah. They knew exactly what kind of movie they were making as they were making it. They're they're telling a, a fairy tale, a children's mm-hmm. story. I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's it's the grandfather reading this book and they're yeah. that's essentially what they're doing is they're they're living out this sort of fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it perfectly. Yeah, I'd agree. So, um but she she obviously doesn't love Humperdinck. We just see that okay, what she likes to do is ride with her horse and she runs into some Vagrants, if you will, or some just kind of random people. Enter Vizzini, Inigo, and Fezzik. One thing that also I read was kind of cool. Rob Reiner apparently offered Mandy Patinkin any role that he wanted for The Princess Bride. Mm. Uh, And he chose Inigo partly because his own father had died a few years before filming. He died Mm. of cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And for motivation, while he was in this role, he would kind of tell himself that if he caught the six-fingered man, his own father would come back. Like, he used his father's death as intense motivation for his character. And it comes across his performance is I'd say easily my favorite of the entire film. Yeah. I've actually heard him talk about that story in an interview and Uh, it, it, it does help because he, he, you know, he's kind of the character itself is kind of goofy, but anytime he talks about his father, he gets very serious, and yes, he you know he kind of smiles when he says it. But if, you know, and, and we'll talk about it when we get to it. But at the end, when he's finally facing Count Rugen, mm-hmm. you can see the intenseness yeah. in his eyes and his delivery. Yep, Vizzini and these two thugs uh, take Buttercup hostage, so they're trying to start a war between the two lands. Um, I love how Vizzini is—he's just tiny, but he's just so quick and bossy with these guys. You know, they obviously could kill him at any second yeah. physically, but he just runs around and just yells at him like crazy. He does have some incredible uh, confidence for someone who is being <laughs> towered over by not only Fezzik, who's going to tower over everyone, but even Indigo. Exactly, yeah. Am I going mad? Or did the word think escape your lips? You were not hired for your brains, you hippopotamic landmass. I had to look up <laughs> what hippopotamic is. Uh, basically, it just means relating to or resembling a hippopotamus. I, I so, figured that. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and making fun of them of how he found them. You know, one, he was too drunk to buy brandy when he found Indigo. And Fezzik was unemployed in Greenland. <laughs> just good shit. <laughs> to uh, feel better after being berated a little bit, Indigo and Fezzik like to play a little rhyming game. And Vicini, he can fuss. Fast, fast. Then you like to scream at us. Probably he means no harm. He's very, very short on charm. You have a great gift for rhyme. Yes, yes. Some of the time. Enough of that! 
Fezzik, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we'll all be dead. No more rhymes now, I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? Yeah! I swear, like, I'll hear uh, some every now and then somebody will just add in, like, anybody want a peanut? <laughs> I do it anytime I hear someone end a sentence with one of the words that Indigo says to prompt Fezzik, yeah. I will immediately say Fezzik's line. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's cute. And it this scene really establishes their friendship, um, yeah, and just kind of like you know how they're getting along really well, but also it shows that they're kind of sincere, nice guys. Even though they're doing something bad here, which is helping someone, you know, start a war and kidnapping, they come across very genuine. I mean, so, they're they're you know they just need the money. We hear on multiple occasions that it's inconceivable that someone is following them, uh, but uh, it's true there is someone with a ship that's following them. Uh, we even see Buttercup tries to escape and use that distraction to uh, to swim into the water, but there are unfortunately some shrieking eels that you'll hear that she's about to do. And one's coming right right towards her. And we get a cut to the grandfather who can tell that the grandkid is a little bit nervous. And he's just trying to assure him that he's he'll be okay. I like that, one, they interrupt the story here. And mm-hmm. I actually like that the grandfather sort of tells him what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, because we as an audience, we're all left in suspense. Like, oh God, what is going to happen? We're all tense, you know. I mean, you know, theoretically, you're you're tense, uh, just yeah. as you know, as Fred Savage is, and he calms he calms the audience down by, you know, saying, you know, she doesn't get eaten, she'll be fine. Let's continue the story. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, okay, if Peter Falk walked in and was like, "I'm your grandfather now," I'd be like, "Okay, yeah. come for it. You tell me story. You got it, pop up." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do find it funny, and it all kind of works again. This movie, knowing what it is. So they were building this tension, building this tension of these kind of, you know, monstrous eels coming after her. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to, you know, back to, to Peter Falk and the grandfather and whatnot. And then we're cutting back to it and we're expecting something grand climactic to happen. And in comes Fezzik's arm, bonk, and it just <laughs> knocks it out <laughs> pretty quickly. And then he just grabs her and she's back, uh, you know, on the boat and they start sailing off. So or they keep sailing uh, in the morning. Uh, the the ship that was right behind him you know he's basically right on top of us i love i love inigo's line they're right on top of us look he's right on top of us wonder if he's using the same wind we are using (laughs) yeah (laughs) what other wind would he be using (laughs) yeah i I mean it just just little things like that show inigo i mean they're not inigo and fezzik are not the brightest bulbs definitely not but they're funny and they are they need vizzini and his brain they get to the cliffs of insanity uh, I like Fezzik is strong enough. He's carrying all three of them up as he climbs this rope. This pirate looking guy pops out of the other ship and starts following them. It's inconceivable that he's doing so. <laughs> uh, they get to the top. Vizzini quickly rushes to cut the rope, but the pirate was able to jump from the rope and find and grab some uh, parts of the cliff and he's able to hold on. Um, he's got really good arms. <laughs> Fezzik. Again, inconceivable. And then Indigo's response. He didn't fall! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. So, so many quotes in this movie. It, it, oh my gosh, yes. Infinitely quotable. Infinitely quotable. I've already We've already gone through a couple different ones with, I mean, obviously, As You Wish and Inconceivable, two of the big ones. I wouldn't even say the biggest. Right. <laughs> yeah, but there are two huge ones that we hear all the time. Yep. Inigo basically stays to fight him. He wants to gonna, you know, he's gonna fight him with his sword. Uh, he also tells 
Vizzini that he wants to do him left-handed. You know, he likes he likes the game yeah. of uh, swordsmanship. Yeah, so. which I appreciate. So I know your son and your daughter, both of them are doing fencing lessons. Mm-hmm. Is any of it because they saw this movie and are like, man, I want to do that? Mm, I don't think so. I think I actually started fencing before I showed them this movie. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I gotta love Inigo here. He lacks patience totally and he's trying to like come on hurry up i want to i want to do this i want to fight i want to he's trying to offer him help they have this whole kind of back and forth i like his little bit oh i'll help you get up can can i give you my word as a spaniard no good i've known too many spaniards so um but he eventually you know you know swears on the life of his father or the you know the that kind of thing and and, Mm -hmm. uh gets him the rope and the the pirate gets to the top and he also i mean very cordial yeah. You know, Wesley's, yeah, well, we don't know it's Wesley yet, but yeah. of course we know it's Wesley. I can just, I can just say you can, Wesley, you can, right? Yeah, you can tell by the voice, like, almost immediately. <laughs> well, which makes me think Buttercup is a little, I mean, she doesn't remember too much. Well, it's been five but, years. Yeah, fair enough. You know, and the, back then, or back then at that time, I'm assuming there's no pictures or video in that world. Of so course not. kind of might forget stuff. Yeah. But yeah, they're very cordial to each other, and Inigo lets... Wesley take a break and sit and rest up before they start this sword fight. While they wait, Inigo tells Wesley about the six-fingered man who killed his father, um, including that he's prepared a line, and he tells Mm -hmm. it to us the first time. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Which might, maybe, is the the most quoted line from the film. I mean, if not the most, maybe it is... I mean, it's, it's so definitely impactful. up there. It's definitely up there. Yep. I love the respect that they have. Yes. And you can, I mean, you can tell right away, like as soon as he mentions, you know, like on the, on the grave of my father, he's like, throw me the rope. Okay. I believe you now. And he lets him, uh, you know, lets him rest. He's done all these things and Indigo actually hands him his sword. Yes. And shows him what, that his dad made. Yeah. And like actually yeah. gives it to him to look yeah. at. And I mean, he's got it in his hand and could just stab him at any moment, but he doesn't. Because he's no. he's he knows the amount of time this guy has spent doing this, and I'm sure in a lot of ways Wesley enjoys the game. At least he does now after becoming yes. Dread Pirate Roberts. He is more than willing to see this out um, yep. in the way that it was intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get going on the fight. Before they do, I love this little line. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. <laughs> like yeah. it's good. It also kind of a little bait and switch, you know, like yeah. you would feel maybe they would talk shit to each other. But no, they're, again, extremely respectful. Yeah. So in uh, in his book, Carrie always talks about how he and Mandy Patinkin trained for months and they continued to train for this fight throughout all of the filming. So all the filming they did, any of their off time was done with these two. Um, swordsman, and I can never remember their names, but one of them was the guy who was the swordsman on Star Wars and did okay. a lot of the sword work for Darth Vader. And so he they, these two pressure guys, and so they were practicing, practicing, practicing. They got to the day, you know, right about the time they were going to film, and so they did a rehearsal. They had gotten it so fast that what was supposed to be like a four-minute sword fight was only two minutes, and they had because they had gotten it so fast, they had to go back and add another two minutes worth of uh, stuff in order to, in order for it to fill the time they needed for the sword fight. Oh, that's I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. So this sword fight, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. 
John and I have both done watch lists with Corey. Mm-hmm. The watch list I did with Corey was top 10 fight scenes. Mm-hmm. And this sword fight made my list. Nice. So not only, it's not it's not the most action-y, um, but this fight scene is just, it's like a damn chess match. Yeah. It really is. There's so much back and forth. They're, the quips that they have back and forth, you know, with, oh, you're using Benetti's defense against me. Like, you know. They, they they again shows that respect, mm-hmm. but it adds it adds humor. It adds so much more intensity mm-hmm. um, and fun to it. You can see honestly once he starts with Wesley and he notices that Wesley is going to be worthy opponent. The way Mandy Patinkin played it, you see the joy in Inigo's yeah. face as he's like, "This is going to be fun." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I think every fight scene, any good fight scene is going to tell a story in itself. And this mm-hmm. one does. It goes somewhere. It elevates. Yeah. It's not just, you know, them doing fancy stuff back in quarter. Oh, that was kind of cool. That was cool. It elevates. It moves. Yeah. It propels us to the end of the fight. And it ends on a cliffhanger. How is, you know, when he finally uh, disarms Indigo and you're like, oh, how is this going to end? You don't know. Is he actually going to kill mm-hmm. him? Is he not going to kill him? I, it is a great story in itself. You're right. I mean, we're, we're also we're learning more about the characters from this. We kind of yeah. get the confidence from Wesley and kind of how good he is at this. Um, as same with Inigo. He's also a bit, you know, I don't know. He's he's excited to have someone who's worthy, but also mm-hmm. how they like to toy with each other. Two of the, the just the great twists that they've got. Obviously, when Inigo switches from left to right, and then when fucking Wesley switches <laughs> from left to right, and it's just like, oh damn. Um, I, I got to mention, there's a spot at the end. The choreography is just phenomenal. So it's when Inigo is already kind of like flailing. It's near at the very end of it, but <laughs> right. almost before he gets disarmed. But he's kind of like, he's lost his muster. But yeah. but Wesley looks phenomenal. You actually see him like switching hands in the middle of the fight, doing stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> it's really impressive. Yeah. You can tell they they trained extensively. Yeah, the only the only scene that is not Carrie Alway's is the backflip. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so it's all them. It's all them, yeah. That's great. So, oh, uh, the the last little thing that I do want to mention with this scene is the score. I think Mark Knopfler, particularly with this scene and the one with Inigo and Count Rugen, the score accents it so well. He he obviously Mm -hmm. times it so things hit, you know, when the sword hits are going and and just kind of, it it just works in perfect tandem. I mean, just the way a, a good score should. Yeah, exactly. Wesley continues on. Uh, Vizinian uh, wants Fezzik to hide behind a big boulder and <laughs> crush his head with a rock uh, <laughs> yeah, so he can just move on. Even Fezzik realizes it's not very sportsmanlike. Yeah. <laughs> so Vizini moves on, and instead Fezzik uh, intentionally misses the first throw, and he decides he wants to fight hand-to-hand man-versus-man combat, mm-hmm. which you know wouldn't seem very fair, but it's not his fault that he is the biggest and the strongest. He doesn't even exercise. <laughs> exactly. So they battle. This one not nearly as good or as dramatic or you know as fun as the one we just came from. Uh, but we got to just keep moving it on. And he eventually gets behind Fezzik and kind of slowly chokes him out. And I did read that. I mean, Andre the Giant notoriously also had just terrible back problems. Yeah, and other stuff. So it's you. You'll see. There's at different times when he like jumped on his back. That's actually a stunt double, mm-hmm. and it's not Andre the Giant. The guy and the stunt double was actually a full foot shorter than Andre the Giant. <laughs> and you can kind of tell some of those things, like when you're when they're like tussling and you actually see somebody on somebody's back. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's not Andre. Yeah. And then on the tight shots, 
they either had like a harness or they were both like on Apple boxes or right. you know, Wesley was on a- Apple boxes or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, so Fezzik gets choked out and still there's, uh, I guess the one, one of the things that you, that you get very much with this fight that you did in the last one is respect mm-hmm. back and forth. And it's not just, Hey, I'm going to respect this big, <laughs> huge guy. There is respect both ways. Yeah. Um, I think and, Wesley and, can tell yeah. that these guys aren't bad people. Yeah. Cause he doesn't treat them as such. True. You know, True. the only person who he kind of treats that way is the one who deserves it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, cho- so anyway, Fezzik is choked out. Um, love Wesley's little line. I do not envy you the headache you will have when you awake. But in the meantime, rest well and dream of large women. <laughs> I use that line a lot. Anytime, like someone's, gonna, you know, if I'm talking to someone, all right, I'm going to go to bed. I go sleep well and dream of large yeah. women. Yes. Sometimes they don't know what I'm talking about. And then I'm yeah. just a little sad inside. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. Uh, we see that Prince Humperdinck is tracking them. He gets to the sword fight area. Um, seemingly, he's just trying to find Buttercup, of mm-hmm. course. Vizzini has a knife to Buttercup's throat, and he's got a little picnic set up right there. And basically, he's confronting Wesley because he can't challenge him physically, and Wesley's no match for his mind. Good little line here. Mm-hmm. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato? Aristotle, Socrates, yes, morons. So they do this whole back and forth. Uh, Wesley pulls out Iocane powder, which isn't real. You can't smell it. You can't taste it, whatever. And there's just this one. He pours it into two wine glasses that he's got. And there's the amount of mental gymnastics that you hear Vizzini doing (laughs) verbally. And his explanations is just fantastic. Another thing that I do feel kind of gets quoted you know, I can't I, yeah, that whole kind of back and forth. I clearly can't pick the, the wine, the cup in front of you. Uh, all this kind of things. I love he's supposed to be Sicilian. Right. Wallace Shawn is so not Sicilian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely like, like a New York accent or just in his high pitched sound or yeah. whatever. But it just it fits so well with this kind of fantastical type of movie. Like, I don't need him to have an Italian accent. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're in a land that doesn't exist, so. Yeah, true. But they, but the thing is, they mention real world people: Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They mention Greenland. I, I just, to me, it's just it's a world where there happen to be places named Greenland and yeah. Sicily. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. So, and then again, great lines here. Everybody gets great lines. Yeah. As as he's so confident that he won this this battle, he lets Wesley know that he fell victim to one of the classic blunders. <laughs> you fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. (laughs) He laughs intensely and then keels over and dies. Yeah, classic. Classic, great scene. Uh, We find out that it was a trick, basically, um, that uh, Wesley has built up an immunity to Iocane powder. So the the only part about that whole uh, interchange that always kind of made me not uncomfortable, but like just seemed weird is he tells him to inhale this, but don't touch. But inhaling means you're snuffing. Exactly. (laughs) True. True. And and if you wanted to do if you want, he could have just done taste this, but do not smell. And then he tastes it and then he dies. (laughs) Boom. Could have done that. I mean, because Vizzini was definitely. I mean, he took it without question. And just like, I smell nothing. Blah. You should just kill exactly. them right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. 
That's all right. The interchange was much more entertaining. Yes, yes. I'm I'm happy we had that. So uh, Humperdinck continues tracking things or tracking them. Uh, the pirate and Buttercup talk about you know everything about love and all this stuff, and you know he's fairly harsh with her. And she's obviously pissed at him because he's the Dread Pirate Roberts. And he killed the person that she loves uh, and all this kind of shit. And they kind of have their back and forth. And eventually she ends up shoving him down the hillside, you know, that he can die for all she cares. And he responds with, while he's rolling, As you wish. Oh, my sweet Wesley, what have I done? Which, of course, makes her realize, oh, my gosh, her dear sweet Wesley. And then she very awkwardly throws herself down the hill too. Yeah. I always thought that was strange, but whatever. Love makes you do weird things. Yeah. I always wondered like, why didn't he reveal himself to her earlier? Why did he go through this? And I don't, I don't know if we're meant to think that he is actually upset that she's marrying this prince and he thinks that she actually loves him because he seems like such an intuitive guy that he would be able to pick up on the fact that she's just, doing it because she was chosen or because mm-hmm. she had nothing else left or, or what. I always thought it was weird if, if they were doing that just to set up this rolling down the hill moment. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's a nice yeah. moment. Yes. Yes, it is. So at the bottom of the hill, they embrace. They are reunited. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. Another really good line there. Yep. So more kissing. Cut to the grandson. He's still grossed out by kissing. Uh, all right, they are then trying to escape. Uh, they're heading towards the uh, fire swamp because they uh, see Humperdinck and he's following them or whatnot. So they try to ditch him by going to the fire swamp. Uh, I do like they get in there and Wesley is immediately like, it's not that bad. <laughs> she looks at him just like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> he's seen worse. Yes. Somewhere yeah. somewhere in his back five years, he's seen worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little scene here where uh, Buttercup catches a little bit on fire, uh, but they keep moving. Hold on. Fun fun fact about that. Mm. Um, William Goldman was on set for that, mm. and he ruined several takes because uh, he would freak out when her thing caught fire, even though that was supposed to happen. Uh-huh. He They finally had to ask him to leave set That's because he was funny. so neurotic about her catching fire. That's very funny. <laughs> and so they keep moving on. Uh, they We see that Wesley's kind of figured out the tricks of the fire pit or whatever as those happen. I mean, it just kind of explains how what the last five years uh, has been about with his life. Mm -hmm. So apparently the whole Dread Pirate Roberts thing is almost like a ruse. You know, it's like it's it's a name that they'll train people to, to, you know, when someone wants to retire, they can do it and leave and get another person. I think that's honestly it's a smart fucking thing to do. It is. I mean, you you get this myth legend about this guy who who may live forever. You know, Mm -hmm. he's been around for years and, and all this stuff that you can help, you know, perpetuate that myth. And then, you know, make what money you want and go retire in obscurity because you've handed the title off to someone else. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, in comic books, superheroes, you have multiple people who mm-hmm. will inherit the, the mantle of whatever the hero is the same way here. Next, Buttercup falls into lightning sand and Wesley has to dramatically pull her out, uh, which he does. Um, but while they're down there, we get a very kind of a quick little stroll through <laughs> of this R.O.U.S., which they look terrible. I mean, it's, there's no other way to put yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is. It's a little person in a in a suit. Yes, and it and it you can tell, and it's you know they they didn't do a great job, but they're you know living up with that that ham kind of camp feel. Um, and then when they kind of get out and start keep continuing their journey, one of the rodents of unusual size attacks, 
And Wesley, you know, he gets bit and they have a fight and then he eventually uses his knowledge of when the fire is going to shoot up and he burns it and then stabs it to death. And so they continue to move on. Fun fact, the uh, actor who was in that suit was late to shooting because he'd been out drinking the night before and got arrested. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and he kept trying to tell them that he was an actor and he was late for a shoot and they wouldn't believe him. Of course not. No, I'm playing a big rat, a big rodent <laughs> of unusual size. All right, so they got out of the fire swamp, but Humperdinck awaits right as they get out and captures them uh, to try and save Wesley's life. Buttercup makes a deal with him to keep him alive if she returns and marries him, which I'm just like, damn, bitch. Like, you just got back with Wesley, and now you're ready to, to d- ditch him and marry someone else? Well, I think she knows it's a lost cause. Even if they even if they tried to back away, I think he would get killed for sure and possibly both of them. Yeah, and he was definitely not backing down, yeah. as you saw yeah. at this point. So She returns kind of back with the prince, and Wesley... Goes along with uh, with Count Rugen. A great little line that he that he has of you know lies do not become us. We are men of action, which is just very nice. And he notices that Count Rugen has six fingers. Oh, someone's looking for him. And uh, Christopher Guest actually pummeled him unconscious in that hit. Oh, I mean, it does look like it bonks him pretty good on the. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He he told he told Christopher Guest that that he could take it, and he actually knocked him unconscious, and he was in the hospital. For the oh, next day after that, so wow, yeah, okay, real injuries happening. People <laughs> getting drunk and getting getting uh, disorderly conduct or whatever, and put in jail. Other ones. things people do for their craft. All right, Wesley is taken to the pit of despair. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, the pit of despair. Uh, <laughs> Another classic. Yes, it is. Uh, we meet the albino that character, Mel, played by Mel Smith, who has done a bunch of British comedy things. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really else, I'd say, in, in, you know, American stuff that people might know all that well from. But he is dressing his wounds, basically healing him up so they can torture him later. We get a little scene where the king dies and Humperdinck is now king. And, you know, they have a quickie wedding and the grandson all interrupts like, what? No, this can't be true. They can't be married, all this stuff. And Humperdinck is presenting Queen Buttercup. Uh, and here we get... Boo! Boo! <laughs> the queen of refuse, queen of putrescence, whatever all that shit yeah. is. Boo! 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 Why do you do this? Because you had love in your hands and you gave it up. But I would have killed Wesley if I hadn't done it. Your true love lives and you marry another true love. Saved her in the fire swamp and she treated it like garbage. And that's what she is, the queen of refuse. So bow down to her if you want. Bow to her. Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of filth, the queen of putrescence. Boo! Boo! Rubbish, filth, slime, muck. Boo! 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 That old lady's... It's, she's credited as ancient booer or something like that. Like, that's about right. But it's just whatever it is, that scene and her booze really stand out. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, it was just a nightmare from Buttercup. Um, so she goes and pleads with Humperdinck to make a deal to try and find Wesley. She doesn't love Humperdinck and she doesn't want to marry him. So if Wesley will have her back, send the ships. And if not, uh, she will be his bride. Um, of course, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. He says he'll send the ships, but he doesn't. Uh, Ruben and Rugen and Humperdinck head to the Pit of Despair. We find out that uh, that it's actually Humperdinck who hired Vizzini to capture Buttercup and he wanted to kill her to start. He wants to start this war. And so 
he's still planning to kill her on his wedding night uh, to perpetuate this war that he wants for some reason. Count Rugen tortures Wesley with this machine that he has. This They just call it the machine, mm-hmm. uh, what apparently sucks life. And I do love, we've seen how hardened Wesley is already and how good he is at everything. And then when he sucks out the one year of his life, uh, Count Rugen just so so kind of stoically and just kind of quietly, <laughs> like, how does that make you feel? And he just starts crying. Yeah. The machine is the only part of this that I'm that is always like seems a little extra fantastical to me. Yeah, sucking out your yeah you know, your one life or whatever. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it's such a good story. I can I can forgive it, but I I do like his like Wesley is this tough guy, and it doesn't. He's like okay, it's just it's just some suction. It couldn't have been that bad, and then he's just basically like whining mm-hmm. afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Humperdink uh, wants the. Uh, Thieves forest to be emptied. All these different people who are living in that area. Um, he wants them to be emptied with this brute squad. We see that Inigo is causing some trouble. He's uh, drunk, waiting for Vizini. This is where he thinks he's supposed to be waiting for him. We see that Fezzik is uh, on the brute squad. He's one of the brutes. who. So they kind of have a little reunion here. And he catches up Inigo on some things, including the six-fingered man. Uh, which, even though he's not the one who saw I know. <laughs> I don't know how he found out. It's something we just have to allow in the storytelling. Yeah. Because he's like, Fezzik is basically the culmination of the information that we've learned as the audience, but he didn't learn any of that stuff <laughs> unless he saw Humperdinck on his own, or not Humperdinck, he saw Rugen on his own and, and saw the Six-Fingered Man. Right. But he didn't, I doubt he did. Uh, it was the other guy who was starting a brute squad. I don't know. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of just lazy writing there, but... Whatever. We are, we as an audience already know, so we don't need to see two people finding it out. Right. We just need to move on. Yeah. Inigo, obviously, spurred by vengeance, um, he needs someone to help strategize because that's what Vizini was good for. He can't do it, neither can Fezzik. So he just decides he wants to find Wesley to do it. They keep calling him the man in black, right. which I think is great. That's, yeah. no, that's such a good name, too. Oh, yeah. Make, like Johnny Cash. I just say, it makes me want to play Johnny Cash. Yeah. All right, Buttercup catches Humperdink in a lie that he'd never sent out ships to find Wesley. Um, but she says, fuck it, you know, she's certain that he will come, uh, which just right at this point enrages Humperdink. He's all pissed off. So he locks her in the room and he goes to the pit of despair. And he's all pissed off and he cranks the machine to 50. Not to 50! Not to 50! <laughs> like, and then he is immediately like aroused. But what is happening to Wesley? I didn't notice that. Oh, he is because it. He goes. He goes not to fifty, and then it cuts to Wesley like gyrating back and forth, and then it goes back to Rugen, and he goes into this like smirk. Oh, Rugen is. Oh, yeah, yeah, Rugen. Yes. Well, he's he's a man of science. Uh, he's actually very curious about what this machine does to people, and he wants to see. Yes, and he also likes hurting people. Yeah, you can tell. But yeah, you get these horrid screams coming from Wesley and, and from this area, uh, which everyone in the realm hears, including Fezzik and Indigo. It's the sound of ultimate suffering. And Indigo knows this this sound. And so they know it's him because, mm-hmm. you know, and, who else could it be? Yes. And somehow they know that Buttercup is, mess- is, is his true love and that she's marrying. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> they wouldn't know that. Yeah, they wouldn't know. How would they know that? I don't know. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't even think about that. It's another <laughs> big missing gap of storytelling. Uh, but whatever, they know. Yeah, because we know. They know because we know yeah. already. Inigo is uh, dramatically 
guided to the secret. And I, I do like this scene. He's kind of he's begging his father to help guide him to find Wesley. You know, take to what direction, and he ends up landing on this secret knot mm-hmm. uh, that we saw a little earlier to open up the secret door to the pit of despair. And they find Wesley dead, which upsets the grandson. We cut back. <laughs> Another cutback. He can't be dead. No, that's not right. And, you know, he's obviously getting really into this story where at first he was, ugh, who wanted, he wanted to just play his video games. And we get another we get another thing here where the grandpa, you know, he asked him, he's like, who kills Humperdinck in the end? He's like, he doesn't. Yeah. Humperdinck lives. And it, mm-hmm. I, I think it's meant to, it, 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 it disappoints the kid, but it's also meant to disappoint the audience. Like, mm-hmm. what? Oh, man. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. like well, then where is this going to go? And then you're pleased to find out where it goes in the end. Yeah, um, but I, I just like that because they're they're kind of toying with the audience's emotions with this little this little bit here. Uh, so Fezzik and Inigo take Wesley's body to Miracle Max. Miracle Max, famously played by Billy Crystal, who pretty much improvised all his lines. And they knock on his door. Miracle Max kind of opens up his little hole, says, "Beat it, or I'll call the Brute Squad." Beat it, or I'll call the Brute Squad. I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. <laughs> they always thought that was that back and forth was weird. Where it's like either somebody messed up a line there or something. No, no, no. I, he's calling. He he's saying he's so big. He is the brute squad. I I guess so, but maybe it was just the way that it was delivered. It didn't it didn't oh. come across that way. I mean, I get. I it. had no problems with it. Okay, all right. Maybe it's just me. Just me. They convince Miracle Max to help, and mostly because he hates Humperdinck as well, because Humperdinck fired him, and so if he'll be humiliated if they uh, if they do that. Uh, but they get him to put some air into Wesley and. He uh, says, you know, answers the question of, you know, what what is what's so good worth living for? <laughs> Even Miracle Max says it's the greatest thing besides, you know, an MLT, mutton, lettuce and tomato sandwich. And the mutton is nice and lean. Yes. Um, but no, he said clearly, obviously, he didn't say that. He said to blave <laughs> means to bluff, uh, which is all bullshit. And then in comes his wife, uh, played by Carol Kane, who's yelling at him. Oh, those these two are perfect here. Really, yeah, they they play play the old married couple. Yeah, I mean, essentially, I hate to say it, but they really are. They're kind of stereotyping like an old Jewish couple with this. Oh yeah, yeah. But they do it. It's so funny the way they do it. It's just <laughs> every time I could watch that scene every mm-hmm. time and still laugh every time. And in fact, Rob Reiner actually had to leave the set. Uh, when uh, they filmed this because uh, Billy Crystal, I mean, did a little bit of improv and stuff like that, but he was so funny that Rob Reiner would just laugh and ruin takes, and so he had to leave. Miracle Max is uh, motivated to help to get Wesley going because it'll piss off Humperdinck, and so they give him like this uh, chocolate-coated pill that will revive him. That's a huge pill, by the way. It's a no. The chocolate coating helps it go down. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is a yeah, it's a horse. It's a bigger than a horse pill. I'm glad it's not a suppository. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they all head out and i like their little you know you see uh carol kane and billy crystals bye bye boys have fun storming the castle think it'll work it would take a miracle this to me this is one of the most quoted li- i hear this all the time i say it all the time anytime someone leaving have fun storming have the castle. some have, uh, have fun storming the castle like yeah this true. is definitely one of the, again infinitely quotable all over the place so Indigo, Fezzik, and a limp Wesley get to the castle. They feed him the pill. Well, he wakes up, but he can't move his body. I really appreciate this scene. because Is, obviously- is, is that what happens to you, Adam? You have a limp Wesley, you got to take a pill, and then you can't move your body. <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, I'm not the one who's 40, buddy. <laughs> uh, not yet. Well, you're not yet. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. All those words together just <laughs> was funny. Made a funny image. Okay. Um, but I like, yeah, Wesley, the last time he saw those two, he was fighting them. So he kind of wakes up and kind of is, um, you know, like, what the hell's going on? He also doesn't remember a couple things. I like Mandy Patinkins. Let me explain. Not enough time. Let me sum up. And <laughs> then he kind of gives them this whole thing of what's going on. And Wesley comes up with a plan to try and get past these uh, 60 men that are guarding the gate. Humperdink and Buttercup are starting the wedding. And then we meet the clergyman who gives, I think, probably, maybe is one of the most recited line. Because <laughs> I would say... 50, 50 to 60 percent of weddings after this film mm-hmm. all made this joke at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> since and still today it's happening. Yeah, I've been to a wedding. I've been to two weddings that I remember off the top of my head that did this kind of joke. <laughs> the marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. This guy is played by Peter Cook. We actually talked about him uh, in the movie Supergirl. Ah. Uh, he played Nigel in that one. Oh yeah. So. Kind of like the bumbling right hand of the bad guy. Yeah. God, that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, Inigo, Wesley, and Fezzik. Oh, I, I, I got to mention, I really do like the back and forth while they're talking at the top of the wall, where Carrie always, obviously, he's playing up that he can't move, and he's like, he's kind of like shaking his head around. And he's <laughs> like, it's it just adds to the humor. It's so good. It does. And, and the way Fezzik is so excited about you just wiggled your finger <laughs> you're not happy with that like all these other little things let's see so Inigo, wesley and fezzik they scare away all these guys by using a wheelbarrow and a holocaust cloak that's lit on fire while fezzik is saying i don't even really know most of the time i should have put on like the closed captioning oh. it's, it's hard to understand him some of the time i'm not gonna lie i think i've i think i've i figured i, I think i'm able to hear understand him pretty see well most of it Okay, and I get I get quite a bit of it, but he's obviously under the giant. You know, he's kind of got an interesting voice already. But, he's also French. Yes, but he's also like it's also like weird the way he's saying it because he's yeah. like Grub Pirate Roberts is here, but soon you will not be here. <laughs> like it's sort of yeah. like really cheesy lines the way he's saying it, but true, it's, it's just sort of funny that way. Yeah, Humperdinck rushes the wedding to to get through, and now Inigo and Wesley, so they finish the wedding and they run off. He grabs. Buttercup and they run off. And Wesley and Fezzik have to search the castle. Rugen and some men find them. There's a quick little standoff here. Mm-hmm. We get Rugen and Inigo right face to face with all of his men. It's going to happen. The men it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. He sends the men. Inigo slices the room. Oh, man. And so it's just the two of them. Oh, it's beautifully choreographed. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, you're right. It's going to happen. It's just the two of them. Oh, shit. And he delivers his line. To Rugen, perfectly. So intimidating. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Okay. Oh, shit. He turns and runs away. I love how they let the camera just sit there for a good little bit. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, damn. And, and, and Indigo is kind of frozen like, did that just fucking happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he obviously runs after him because this is the guy he's been, um, you know, trying to get revenge from. Uh, you know, he's so close to it. Fezzik and Wesley are kind of left right behind. But I love right here the panic in uh, in Inigo's voice <laughs> oh, yeah. when he's he's behind the door and he is. I mean, he is screaming, panicked that he can't get this door. He's screaming for Fezzik to come break it down. Yeah. Fezzik, I need you. I can't live in my 
getting away from me, Bessie! Please! But you hear, he's so fucking close. He, you know, he's at this, he, he can taste well, it. Well, your heart breaks for him, too, because you know he's yeah. so close. And you can you yeah. can feel it, like, slipping away from him. Yep. But Fezzik, you know, kind of drops off Wesley, goes, knocks the door for him, so he kind of continues to run. Um, but you know, Wesley's actually not there when Fezzik goes back to get him. So Inigo chases Rugen, who has a little throwing knife that he throws into Inigo's gut. And we're just like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Again, you're, you're you're so close, but you're not going to get there. Buttercup is off by herself. She's stricken. She has a weird little scene with the king. Yeah. Who I guess we just kind of see that the king's a bit senile. Yeah. Is all. And so she's stricken with grief about uh, being married to Humperdinck. And she's about to kill herself when Wesley stops her. He made it to her room. He's lying on her bed, but he can't move. And we <laughs> see how just how much pain he's in when he's going gently gently i have to say i have anytime my wife like hurts herself i will use the line there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world be a pity to damage yours it's a good line yeah uh we cut back to inigo who uh, is is he's mustering up the energy and he pulls the knife from his stomach and they which any medical professional will tell you not to do leave it because it'll just you'll bleed out easier i bet (laughs) Anything so, that goes into your body has to be left there until a medical yeah. professional falls. Uh, so they start their sword fight. He keeps repeating this line. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Oh. over and over again it gets just so dramatic the score is working mm-hmm. so well again with I mean, this is not a choreographed perfectly executed sword fight but where that one was with like the actual i would say the action yeah and like the, the dance this one is there for emotion he's gonna say this one's emotional exactly yes. what i was gonna say extremely and you know he's he's just delivering these this line over and over again you see you're right you see in his face that he is so determined and did you notice, I mean, I noticed he gave Rugen all the same, yes. you know, uh, injuries, like even the, even the ones in his arms that he kind of had right at the end, yep. the two cuts on the face, yep. and then he kills him with the stab in the gut. So all the same shit that he had gotten, he gives back to him. Yeah, which is, is so. so poetic. And the way he delivers his final lines, like, Ugh. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. I tell you what, man, like sometimes if I'm in the right mood, it makes me tear up a little bit because you can you're, see the pain. In the his, emotional yeah. swelling. If, if the tears don't come out, there is an emotional. So I had it too, just watching it for this movie. Yeah. And I'm in hell. I'm taking notes and I'm like pausing it like every fucking like three <laughs> minutes. But you're watching this and you're right. You know, some I've absolutely had times where a, a tear might come out. Yeah. Humperdinck uh, finds them. Uh, in the room, finds Wesley and uh, and Buttercup in the room, and he's tells him he wants to fight to the death. No, to the pain. <laughs> and 
Wesley makes up this whole bullshit intimidation thing. He's basically intimidating him. And he triumphantly stands at the end to basically make uh, Humperdinck surrender. And they tie him up. But obviously, it was all a bullshit. (laughs) Because Inigo finds him and he's too weak. Uh, And then Fezzik conveniently found four white horses. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they all jump down into that. Um, But before they do, Inigo gives a great line, which actually I, I saw... Mady Patinkin said was his favorite line in the movie, which is... You know, it's very strange. I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Which is such a, I think, a good line with a lot of these movies and a lot of like these revenge things. What the hell comes next right. for these people? Yeah. Like, seriously. And he is so motivated by, by this one thing for 20 years. What the hell is it going to be? And Wesley, I love Wesley's like... Have you ever considered piracy? Make a wonderful Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, dude. Fuck like, yeah! I want a second movie. I was just say I want to see that now. I want. Yes. I want a Indigo like series. Give me a limited series on Disney Plus mm-hmm. of Indigo yeah. and the High Seas. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. That would be awesome. Uh, then you know we're kind of wrapping things up. They're about to kiss again, and the grandfather just kind of eh, preemptively stops it. He knows the grandson's not not going to be into it, but. We see that the kid, you know, is like, okay, you know what? Now I'll allow it this time because he's, you know, he's now into the book. Uh, and then the kid tells his grandfather, hey, could you read it to me again? And he turns to the grandson and says, as you wish. As you wish. Aww. So cute. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's saying, uh, you know, he's just saying, I love you back to his yeah. grandson, which is actually, so I was talking to my wife or my wife was talking to me about this and she was like, at their house, they had the idea when he said, as you wish, that it kind of meant he was Wesley. That's what they thought. Oh, he was Wesley when he was younger. But I never got I don't that, get that impression. Yeah, I don't get that. Because they're, t- they're totally different worlds. It's reading it from a fantasy book. And it's like a lot of cha- a lot has changed in 50 years if they went from that world of kind of medieval-esque times to this. But anyway, I mean, it's just I always took it as a, hey, I love you. And that's really what he's telling him. So. Yeah, that's that's how I took it. Yeah. Too. Okay. Uh, and then we get some credits over the cast, um, you know, from previous shots and scenes. Cut back to them riding off. And then the song Storybook Love by Mark Knopfler, and it's sung by Willie DeVille, plays at the end of our film. Come, my love, I'll tell you a tale of a boy and girl and their love story and how he loved her oh so much and all the charms she did possess now this did happen once upon a time when things were not so complex and how he worshipped the ground she walked and when he looked in her eyes he became obsessed my love is like a storybook story But it's as real as the feelings I feel My love is like a storybook story But it's as real as the feelings I feel All right, John, I'd love to hear your thoughts first. Tell me everything about uh, Princess Bride for you. I mean, there's no surprise. This it's a It's a family classic. I've watched it regularly for decades at this point. I've shown it to my kids who love it. You know, in 15, 
20 years, maybe 15 years, if I have grandkids, I will be excited to show this movie to them. It's so good. I can watch it anytime. It's infinitely quotable. I, I don't, you know, I don't know what, I don't know more, what more you want me to say. It's, mm-hmm. it's the best. It's so good. Yeah. The Princess Bride is magical. It's fantastical. There's hints of campiness. Mm-hmm. But the thing that this film has, I'd say maybe more than a lot of other ones and as to why it has stuck around so much, this movie has heart. Oh, yeah. Tons of fucking heart. And so, of course, it holds up. It's got romance. It's got action. It's got comedy. It's got drama. We talked about this when we talked about Shawshank Redemption. It's a kind, it's, Shawshank is the kind of movie that makes you feel almost every emotion mm-hmm. within its two hours. Well, two and this a half movie hours does in the that same, case, but yeah. Two and a half hours, <laughs> yeah. This movie does that exact same thing to me, where I am feeling almost every fucking emotion that there is, and it's a reason that why I love it. It's a totally different type of film, but I love it mm. because of that. Um, and I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. I probably watch it maybe almost every two years. It's probably when I pull it back out and just like, I need to, I need to see this again. Yeah. And I probably will continuously till the end of my days. Yeah. All right, now we are going to talk Wishbone. This show ran from 95 to 97. It had two seasons, 50 episodes. Uh, it originally aired on PBS and then PBS Kids. Uh, what, I saw one of the staff writers, and he was a associate producer as well, for this show was Mo Rocca uh, from The Daily Show and oh, the wow. CBS Sunday Morning. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's very cool to me. Nice. But um, the cast is... Uh, the voice of Wishbone is done by Larry Brantley. This is my house. <laughs> ah. And this is my chair. And this is me, talking. And aren't you lucky? You can hear me. Well, what were you expecting? A cat? <laughs> Please. He's done some anime stuff later in his career, including My Hero Academia, Tokyo Ghoul, and some other things, um, but not tons of stuff. Joe, the main kid, was played by Jordan Talbot, really nothing else. And then all I really want to mention is the dog. Uh, the actual dog was named Soccer. Yeah. Uh, cute name. Yeah. And he died in 2001, Aww. unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Before we, I, I'm going to talk more about the show, but my question to you, John, is have you seen any of Wishbone? Did you hear of it? I was I was aware of it. I probably s- maybe saw you watch it at some point. Um, this this admittedly this show was a little young for me at the time that yeah. it came out, but I was definitely aware of it. I uh, was aware like the as soon as I saw like photos of like the dog wearing costumes, I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah yeah, I totally remember this being a thing. Yeah, yeah. You were probably fourteen when this came out, which yeah. is definitely I was high school age by the time this came out. And I was nine, nine, ten when this one came out. So that's right in. Oh, that's the perfect age. Perfect age for this show. For me, it, this was absolutely a show I watched the hell out of. Like, I loved it. And I, I mean, whenever it's on, they feel like PBS played it quite a bit, like even either in that, like right after school or right before school or something. Um, so I could kind of get that. So uh, so the show is based on or is, you know, all around the adventures kind of of this dog wishbone and his owner joe and joe's two friends and you know his mom um basically they they live in the fictional town of oakdale texas and wishbone daydreams about being a lead character in the stories from classic literature only the audience 
And also the characters of the daydream can kind of hear Wishbone speak. Right. So like when he's in the, the daydreaming world, he's talking and interacting with people um, like that. But for us, we're hearing his inner monologue basically yeah. as a dog. I um, mean, I like the voice that they got for him. I think it just it fits really well with a Jack Russell Terrier, as strange as that sounds. I thought it was fine. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was fine. And the way you put it, or the way, and how you mentioned it, when he's playing these uh, different literary characters, he's always like dressed up mm-hmm. in something. And I'm not going to lie, a little Jack Russell dressed up in cute little like <laughs> Halloween stuff is adorable. It is. <laughs> it's super it is. cute. This show won uh, four Emmys uh, oh, wow. in a couple different categories. It also won a Peabody Award. Which Peabody Awards are, you know, pretty good, uh, like a multimedia awards mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, they actually come from UGA. I don't know if you knew that. The show? No, no. the the Peabody The Peabody Awards come from the University of Georgia. Oh, I didn't know that. Go dogs. Specifically, they come from the Grady School of Journalism. Hey, that's your alma mater. That's my alma mater. Exactly. I graduated from that specific school, the School of Journalism at UGA, and that's who gives out the Peabody Awards as a prestigious kind of. Uh, media award so that's cool and as a graduate actually i can vote on them and things like that too. oh wow so the show got a lot of praise for keeping the the source material pretty faithful um besides the whole <laughs> it being a dog thing in, <laughs> yes <laughs> but they it kept pretty true to the stories that it had i always used to kind of joke that oh i would just instead of reading the book i would just watch the wishbone episode <laughs> uh basically to be it was probably either a mix of that and spark noting it uh, instead of <laughs> i hated reading the books in lit class i hated yeah. it i'm just never you know I, I like fun books i hate like the classic literature stuff usually also in the show typically they would kind of have whatever was like the quote-unquote real life of whatever's happening with wishbone and joe would kind of mirror yeah whatever literature thing that. that they had yeah I watched three episodes of this show. Did you? How many did you watch? <laughs> I basically watched one and a half. That's, I mean, that's really all you need. You get, you get. You, the I gist. got the gist. Yeah, I got the gist. I found myself just kind of keep going and wanting to keep going. <laughs> as funny as that is, so um, the show, or, or sorry, in 2020, it was announced that Universal Pictures and Mattel are developing a film adaptation huh. of this. I'm very curious how that's going to go. Apparently, Peter Fairley is going to produce it. Uh, he's one of the Fairley brothers. Yeah. Question for you. Did you show this to your daughter specifically who I'm curious about? No, not. No, because at the, at the time of us recording this, we figured out we were going to do record this today. Uh-huh. Uh, by the time I got back in, uh, my kids were asleep and then they left today to go do some stuff uh, with their uncle. So okay. I wouldn't have had a chance to, but this is a show I might try to show her. It's it's fun. It's cute. It's educational, and she is a big dog and and animal person. So yeah. she might. I could see her latching on to it. Yeah. So you could just tell her that it's Uncle Adam's one of Uncle Adam's favorites from his childhood. Maybe <laughs> maybe that'll help. Maybe she'll probably not. But I'll tell her it. anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. I want to mention that dog is so fucking well trained. Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> it's like it did everything you needed it to, and ever since even even before I watched the show, I want to talk about the theme song. What's the story, Wishbone? What's this you're dreaming of? Such big imagination on such a little bug. What's the story, Wishbone? Do you think it's worth a look? It kind of seems familiar, like a story from a book. Shake a leg now, Wishbone. Let's wag another tail. Sniffing out adventure. Wishbone on the trail. Come on, Wishbone. What's the story, Wishbone? 
And that theme song has been stuck in my head. <laughs> not really, not the whole thing. The whole thing is fine. It's cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's simple. It works very well. Perfect for like this PBS show. Yeah. But there's like the tags that they have kind of at the end of it. What's the story, Wishbone? Whenever I say or think just the name Wishbone, <laughs> I immediately go, what's the story, Wishbone? <laughs> so, and they did a lot of good classic literature ones. I remember I ended up watching uh, the Odyssey one because that was actually one of my favorites. I remember mm. Loving that one or liking that episode when I was younger. Yeah. Also, and then I watched the first two episodes because it was a two-parter of doing uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Oh, okay. Uh, so I watched that. But then I also remember they have, you know, the other good ones I particularly remember off the top of my head are uh, the Robin Hood episode, the Prince and the Pauper episode, uh, Phantom of the Opera. I mean, there's just tons of also like more literature books that I've never even heard of. They mm-hmm. saw attack some of those as well. Well, and they did like, I, I one of the episodes I saw they were doing... Um, African-American folktale, or I should say African folktales, not African-American, oh. but African folktales. Oh, cool. Which was really cool. I, it was cool to see the kind of branch out beyond mm-hmm. just sort of like the standard Western literature stuff. Agreed. I'll jump in with my thoughts if that's okay first. Since Sure. Me, I honestly and truthfully really enjoyed re-watching these. It's educational, but it's entertaining. It's super cute. So cute. And I would love to show this to any kid out there and hope that they could kind of get some of the joy. And so I would love to have it on. I'm probably not going to watch it on my own, but I would love to have it on and just kind of have it on in the background if I had my niece and nephew over and they were interested or, you know, or, or just that niece or my other need my, my wife's niece and nephew. And for every parent out there, if you're not showing wishbone to your kids, you're failing as a parent, in my opinion, <laughs> show them wishbone. There we go. All right, so admittedly, I don't really have a nostalgic tie to this show. Um, mm-hmm. I I was aware of it, but I never watched it. Uh, even after watching a couple episodes, like it was a little slow for me. However, me as a nine or ten year old, if it had come out at that right time, I totally would have probably latched onto this. I totally respect it for its sort of sort of the literacy uh, promotion that it's doing. You know, yep. and honestly, much like reading Rainbow, I could see them, re- you know, having another version of this show today. Granted, today they might make it like animated, but still, like, it's a, it's a good idea. And mm-hmm. like using cute animals to tell the stories, to promote literacy, to pr- to promote all these great books. Even though the show, you know, I'm a forty year old man, the show was a little slow for me. Didn't do anything, but I'm all for the idea and the concept. Okay, and I think. It is a good idea. I'm glad they did it then. I'm kind of surprised it only went for two seasons. I think mm-hmm. they could redo it now for a younger audience. That you know, I I think if they might have to make it animated, but you know, there's nothing quite like seeing like an actual real dog. I mean, it, it impressed the shit out of me at how, yeah. how well that dog did. Yeah, I think for when it came out and what it was doing, it was a great concept. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by. I learned a new song. I learned this. I learned to read. The jet jet zip. Introducing the leap pad from Leapfrog. 
stumbled, stumbled out of bed. It brings books to life opened, and teaches kids to read. Utah. And I learned the state. And so much more. And I learned music. The Leap Pad from Leapfrog. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. Adam, I got to tell you, I'm actually pretty excited about this. I was actually pretty happy with my casting. Yeah, I am. Um, other than the grandson casting, I'll give it a fuck about uh, <laughs> everything else. Everything else, I'm really happy with. Yeah. So we are going to do uh, several of the classic characters from The Princess Bride, Wesley, Buttercup, Indigo, Fezzik, Vicini, Prince Humperdinck, Count Rugen, and the grandfather and the grandson. I just thought... I you, just, keep, you, you keep saying Indigo. Isn't it Indigo? It's spelled Indigo. Like Is it? Yeah. I, I thought it was spelled Indigo. It's I-N-D-I-G-O, I believe. I just always thought it was just Indigo, not not Indigo. Well, I'm checking out. Okay, check now. check my work. I could no. be wrong. Okay, there's no there's no D in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know why that. I always thought there was. Anyway, and the, I mentioned the grandfather, the grandson. I honestly, I could have kept going. It would have been fun to do uh, Miracle Max or the Albino yeah, stuff totally. like that. But like after a while, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna end up with like way too many characters. So we had to make, kind of make a, you know we'll do the main ones and just have to stop there. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with the one that uh, I know Adam's excited about. We'll start with the grandson, <laughs> and I'll let you go first. Thank you. I'd love to get get it over with. I found a <laughs> cute kid. He's around. I think he's around 11 years old right now, and his name is Dante Perrier Olson. Not Perrier like the drink, but Perrier, Perriera? I don't know how to, I'm not sure. Dash Olsen. Um, cute kid. And that's the end of my casting <laughs> on that one. <laughs> I, I he, He's a kid actor, John. Yeah. I don't know what to do. This is even before Fred Savage, you know, did a lot of his other stuff. Right. So. Okay. So I made a, a little bit, of, so I made some changes. So what I did is this. My grandson is going to be a granddaughter. Okay. Now, granted, yeah. this daughter is a little bit older. She's in her teens right now. So it's not going to be the little kid, but it could be the same thing. A, a grandkid second home. And you could, exa- and you might play even better of like, Oh, why are you reading me a book? Right. I just want to play on my phone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can modernize all this stuff. So she's not going to be playing, you know, the Atari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I went with an actress who is hearing impaired. I mm. went with the actress from a quiet place. Her name is Millicent Simmons. Um, so she's, the Quiet Place Two is going to be coming out sometime soon, um, but uh, that, yeah. she plays the daughter. Yeah, in yeah, that. I remember her from the movie. Um, and so, in, in the way I w- want to do it is the grandfather comes in. You know, maybe they do a little bit of signing, and then he can just tell the story, and she can just read lips because several, you know, a lot of deaf mm-hmm. people are good, really good at reading lips. So that way, we can still hear the story from him, and she is still getting the story as we go. Okay. And here's going to be a weird thing. I also. Families today are complex. They're mm-hmm. not one thing. And I think today's audiences know that. You can change things up a little bit. And if you're going to have a narrator, sorry, I'm jumping in on the grandfather already. Uh, I know. If you're going to have a narrator, I think I know exactly where you're going. If you're going to have a narrator who's older, there's, there's, only, there's only one way to go. My, <laughs> my grandfather's Morgan Freeman. I, the second you said, if you're going to have a narrator, yeah. Uh, that's a good call. I, like I mean, no one is going to shit on that. Nobody. No, no. So of course not. Of course not. So, I, and and I didn't. I didn't have any problems wrestling with the fact that she's uh, basically white. I think, and he's black yeah. because you can have all kinds of mixed families. Someone could be adopted. Honestly, yeah. it, to me, it doesn't even matter. Are they? Do they have? She a good was born in Utah, so she's as white as it gets. <laughs> uh, that's, that's it. Okay. But yes, of course, you, mixed family is absolutely a thing. Yeah. So uh, cool. I like that a lot, and. 
All props to Morgan Freeman. I would love his to hear his voice yeah. in this role. I'd love to have him so, as my grandfather. Shit. Yeah, exactly. So for my grandfather role, I kind of kept um, things traditional mm-hmm. on this one. Um, this guy is 69 giggity right now, I think. <laughs> um, he might be 70, actually. He's probably 70. But I don't. you don't think of him too much as like the, some of the grandfather roles. But he definitely can do it. And I've seen him do some kind of like comedy stuff for sure. He's, he's done some comedy. He's done some done a little bit of everything, but he also does good voice work. Now he's not do he not, doesn't do like narrator voice work all that much that I know. He's usually more um, in the villain voice mm-hmm. work. But he, he, I mean, a voice actor, he'd be able to do just fine. Yeah. I went with Mark Hamill as my grandfather. You know what? I actually considered him as well. Oh, very I cool. actually considered him as well because he's uh, he yeah he's got a great narration voice or a great speaking yes. voice. I I totally could see mm-hmm. that, and it, you know, it would be fun to to have him. I actually just yep. saw that he's going to be in the new Burt Kreischer film. Oh yeah, he's that he's that. I still need to see some of his. Oh comedy. my gosh, I just hear he's. I haven't seen any of his comedy. Adam, you would so dig it. Okay, you would so dig it. I just know he's he's a shirtless guy. That's all <laughs> I know. Yeah. All of his stuff is funny. Like the two stories you need to go listen. You need to go listen to the Russian mafia. That's his. Ep- okay. That's his big epic story. Um, then you need to go watch his story about period parties. Okay. Uh, which I think he's actually told as a story, like on like Conan or something like that. Those uh, two, okay. you got to find those. Oh, uh, interesting. Yes, that does make me curious. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, we're on Count Rugen then. We are on Count Rugen. All right. Who did you go for for Count Rugen? So uh, my Count Rugen, you need someone who can play menacing. Mm-hmm. Definitely menacing, but also very dry. Uh, and this guy plays villains so perfectly. I just, I think he's great. I've used him before in kind of, uh, I think other kind of villain roles like this or whatnot. He's just awesome. I went with Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, he plays Gu- Gus in Breaking Bad. He's in the the main bad guy in The Mandalorian. He's he's just he's yeah. a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. He's really menacing in Mandalorian. I'm totally for that. Mm-hmm. That's great. He's got the dark saber, and it's like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great choice. Cool. Admittedly, I went with an actor who's played a character that looked a lot like Count Rugen. Okay. And it, it, it because I've been rewatching this series a little bit, I noticed that when this character came up, I was like, God, he does kind of look like Count Rugen from The Princess Bride. So, and he did a, a he played he's kind of menacing in that one, but he's he's he plays an asshole. And he plays it really well. Uh, and the actor's name is Noah Taylor, and he plays Locke in Game of Thrones. He's the one who cuts off Jamie Lannister's hand. Oh, he does have that look. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that character does very much from Game of Thrones have a Count Rugen look to him. And so, I like that. I thought it was – it's kind of a perfect one-to-one, but he played that – that kind of asshole, like you just hate him the whole time yeah. he's on screen. I'm like, that's a that's yep. a perfect. I, I think he could do that. Yeah, I'm very cool with that one. Uh, all right, Humperdinck, 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 Humperdinck. Humperdinck. <laughs> that was good to say. Yeah. Uh, this honestly, this is the one I struggled with the most because it's kind of open. Mm-hmm. It could be a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, so I wanted somebody who was kind of young. But like, it had to be older than my Wesley. But they didn't have to be super old because they had to be. Like, I didn't want it to be creepy about him wanting to marry Buttercup. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I went with a, an actor who's done several different things. I went with James Marsden. I considered James Marsden. Okay. 100%. Okay. <laughs> yes. He was on my short list. Okay. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. Well, then who did you go with? Uh, I went with a guy 
who I've seen kind of play a little bit of smarmy asshole, um, even though he's not most known for it. He's a big name in this one, but he's done some comedy shit, too. Um, it's kind of when he's been like smarmy side character guy. I've liked him in those roles, uh, particularly I'm thinking of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Knives Out. Uh, I went with Captain America himself. Chris Evans as mine. I think he would do <laughs> you know, a pretty damn good job. You know job. what? It would be fun. It would be a lot of fun to yeah. see him in this role. I'm for it. I, mm-hmm. And after seeing Knives Out, I I could definitely believe it. Cool. He'd get all the, you'd get all the thirsty girls coming to see see the six <laughs> fi- six-fingered uh, Evans. Uh, well, no. Oh, no, you're right. Humperdinck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humperdinck. Yeah. But still. <laughs> still. That's great. Uh, all right. Vassini. Who, uh, who did you go with for Vassini? Uh, I thought a couple different people. Yeah, it's it's tough to match the quirkiness yeah, of Wallace it Shawn. Is. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't feel I wanted to go right into the quirkiness side, but I did go with someone who has played brash, overconfident, over smart people, and I think he's just a great great role for this. I went with Peter Dinklage. He's done some comedy. He's done some drama. Like I think he would be a, just a phenomenal visitor. That's great choice. That's a great choice because that's, it's it's uh it, it is a little quirky. I've never seen him play a role like that, um, mm. but that would be fun to see him in too. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Right. Uh, I went with, I kind of was like, okay, Vizzini's supposed to kind of be Sicilian Italian type thing. I was mm-hmm. like, what are some other sort of Italian ish or at least you know Italian American actors, and I came across like one who. Granted, he's a little bit older, but his a, there's no age gap or yeah, specific yeah. need for Vizzini. His performance in Sideways kind of reminds me of Vizzini. I went with Paul Giamatti. Yeah. I think that's a good call. I think he he's done comedy. He definitely comes across as smart. He's a great actor. Yeah, I, I like that call quite a bit. And you do you could tie in the Italian stuff perfectly. Yeah. So yeah, I like that one. Very cool. Good. Very well done. Uh, all right, Fezzik. Oh, this is this is impossible. This is basically impossible. Um, you you have to go with a, a, a large person for this role yeah. because that is the role that essentially it is. He's the giant. Um, you're you're automatically. I was like, well, I could go with the mountain or I could go with a wrestler because Fezzik was a wrestler. But so I went with a wrestler. That's a guy I've actually cast before because I know he's acted. Uh, I went with uh, the Big Show. I considered him as well because of his acting, and also uh, you probably don't remember. Or because you weren't a wrestling fan, but back when the Big Show was on the on WCW, his character was also named the Giant because he was like quote unquote the son of Andre the Giant. Oh. He was that was that was how he started off in WCW. Okay, um, until he kind of moved to WWE and then he got the Big Show and he did that. Um, so he I was so close to going with him because of that, but I ultimately didn't. I went with a large person, someone who. I think also you can get the the gentle giant demeanor from mm-hmm. specifically because obviously Vizzini has uh, or sorry Fezzik has quite a bit of that. We've actually met this guy and he's huge. Uh, I went with Christian Nairn who plays. Hodor. Oh, that is I didn't even think of it. He yeah. is he's pretty tall. Yeah, he's a big guy. That's a good call. I like that. All right, Inigo, another one that was a little bit difficult. I mean, played to perfection um, mm-hmm. by Mandy Patinkin. So I'm interested to see how we went. And who did you go with? Uh, I had three names, and I would be happy with any three of them. And ultimately, I ended up going with Diego Luna Okay, from Rogue One. He's a great actor, yeah. and he absolutely, I think, 
would be able to take this and, and do and do. Yeah, he, he'd give me everything I need. Yeah, that's that's also a good call. Uh, cool. Who are the other two? I'm interested to know. Uh, Oscar Isaac, I considered him okay. uh, for a little bit, and then the person who I thought was a perfect one to one, and uh, but I had just done two. Game of Thrones people. I didn't want to do another, <laughs> but I just did. But actually, with Diego Luna and Oscar Isaac, I said those are two uh, Star yeah. Wars. This person's also in the Star Wars universe. I want Pedro, Pedro Pascal is the one who I first thought. I of. did also look at Pedro Pascal. He was one of the okay. first ones. Uh, but ultimately, I went with Oscar Isaac. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he's got the look. You know, he's uh, you see a good bit of that smarminess from him from from yes. Star Wars. I, I loved him in uh, Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. So I think he'd be a great indigo, and but I would also be happy with Diego Luna. He's also an incredible actor. Yeah. So cool. All right, Buttercup. Buttercup. This could go so many different ways. It's real. It's tough real tough to, to how, you, how you want to do it. So yeah. um, I ended up going with an actress who is kind of in her. I mean, they're supposed to be relatively young. So I went with an actress yeah. who's in her, her early twenties right now. Um, she's okay. a big name. She's done a lot of stuff. And uh, I don't think she mind playing a princess because she's never really played a princess to my knowledge, at least not like this. I went with Zendaya. Oh yeah, Zendaya, Zendaya. Whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. She seems to be a pretty hot little actress right now. Mean that like she's getting a lot of work. Yeah. I never watched her drug show Euphoria on HBO. No. I, and I kind of know her as from probably Mary Jane Watson more than anything else right now. Right. Uh, she was also in The Greatest yeah. Showman. Oh, that's right. And I like that movie a lot. That's right. I forget about that one. Uh, Yeah, I am totally cool with that one. Cool. I uh, honed in. Yes, I didn't go as young as Zendaya, uh, but I tried to stick to when I think of Robin Wright's Robin Wright in her portrayal. I get a lot of kind of obviously youthful, but Mm -hmm. innocent and beauty. Yeah, those are kind of the main thing. Maybe, you know, maybe they can make her a little less helpless um, in this film, the remake, but Overall, I kind of stuck to that, and I ended up going with Nathalie Emmanuel. So I went back to Game of Thrones. It plays Masande. Oh yeah, she's very innocent in Game of Thrones, yeah. like as that character, but she's also just drop dead gorgeous. Oh, she is beautiful. Yeah. So I mean, I went back back to Game of Thrones, but I I mean, she's I'm, a little bit older, but yeah, she is a little exactly. She is definitely older, um, but you know, f- timing wise or age wise with my Wesley and with I you know my Count Rugen or sorry my Prince Humperdinck. It fits. I could see Chris Evans, you know, wanting to marry Nathalie Emmanuel and not think, okay, you're too creepy old for that. <laughs> I think he's only like he's only, he's only eight years older than her, so it all, that all fits. Okay, well, she's in her early thirties. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's older than we thought, but that means she's still. If you, if you, you can't tell me, she, she also got, looks very young. So. She can play early twenties. I'm sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Our main man, our star, Wesley. Um, I want to hear who you picked first. Yeah, you gotta get leading man looks. Carrie Elwes looked just—he's a good-looking guy in this film. Rob Reiner has said that he had that Errol Errol Flynn quality uh-huh. to his look, which yep. you can totally see. Yep, and I feel like I kind of have a similar vibe with um, the guy that I cast. He's—he's he's young. He's the also born in I think '89, so he's right in his young uh, low thirties. But he still—I think he plays. He can, he can play younger as needed on this one. You, you've you and I have both cast him, I think, multiple times, but I think he, I get those smooth vibes from him, specifically from the Kingsman franchise. I went with Taron Egerton. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, he's definitely got that Errol Flynn sort of look. I mean, yeah. he played Robin Hood too. So. Oh yeah, for, I forgot about that. Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of people forgot about that movie, <laughs> <laughs> probably, and probably rightfully so. I yeah. mean, there's only so many different ways you can just tell that story before we got to just move on, people. <laughs> yes, I prefer the wishbone version. <laughs> I prefer the uh, Kevin Costner version with the bad accents. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Uh, no, but I can totally see that. Okay, I, I can totally see them doing that. Uh, I went with an actor who is a little bit younger than that. Okay. Well, I mean, um, that fits your other castings. Yeah, it fits my casting. Um, but I think he's got that Errol Flynn look. I really do. And he's been in um, some big name stuff. I think I've actually cast him before. Uh, I went with uh, Billy Hargrove himself, Dacker Montgomery. Oh, yeah, yeah. He briefly entered my head, but he absolutely has that similar similar vibe when you're when you see him not in the um stranger things you know kind yeah. of like the, his mullet and gross little stash that he has even though wesley kind of has a gross little stash. well as i say if you if you look at if you look at his his main photo on imdb he's yeah. got that sort of that sort of uh uh matinee idol pencil thin mustache on yeah. so yes, he kind of looks a lot has the look of it so he really he's does about, he's about the he's about the right age he's just only slightly older than my uh than my buttercup so i i think yeah. he would make a, a really good Wesley. I yep, I wholeheartedly agree. Both really good choices on all of these. None of them, none of them make me disappointed at all. Yeah, uh, I've noticed movies where we're both excited. <laughs> we never come up with castings that are like yeah, uh, that really like too different. Yeah, you're right. We both kind of have the same like ideas as how this should probably and, go. And. You know, we're we're probably not to say we're not experimenting enough with this stuff, but like we've we put not to say we put more thought, but we definitely like make sure like, hey, I wanted to make this one particularly good, or yeah. as opposed to one where it's like, yeah, I'm willing to kind of go out of the box. I'm willing to to put uh, a terrible singer as a fucking uh, you know Misty. Um, that's a terrible choice. But <laughs> when it's films like this, you're right. Misty doesn't sing though. Oh God. Continue, continue. Anyway, I agree. Yes, uh, yeah. we we've done, and no, it's been it's been a hot minute since I've hated, really hated any of of your castings. Good, I'm trying to do that on purpose too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was our recasting of a Princess Bride movie. Please join us next time for another top ten episode. This time we are joined by Mister Literature himself, Ben Young from the Trivial Warfare podcast. And we are going to be counting down our top 10 sexy time songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get